Welcome to The Savvy Founder, the one place for entrepreneurs and business owners, away from the everyday bustle, where we help you find your path to a profitable and bright future. Now here's your host, The Savvy Founder and armchair sociologist himself, Philip Topham. Hello and welcome to The Savvy Founder. I'm your host, Philip Topham. I'm very excited to have Carrie Ransom. Hello, Carrie. How are you doing? I'm great, Philip. How are you? Yeah, we're both in Southern Cal. Are you raining where you're at too? It is raining today, and that is a rare occasion here, but that's okay. Welcome those. A little variability never hurts. Absolutely. Uh, I was just thinking, you and I have known each other now for, for several years in the Orange County startup system, uh, but certainly everybody in the audience doesn't know who you are. So would you give a thumbnail sketch of who Carrie is? Ooh, who Carrie is? I'm, I'm a work in progress. <laughs> uh, I, I've been in Southern California now for almost 20 years. And uh, in that time, I think I've been a part of eight or nine startups, um, some of which I've started, some of which I've joined super early. A couple I've joined to fix and turn around. And really, most of my career has been in the software industry uh, or things that had a heavy software and technology component to it. I, I love software. I love data. Uh, I love identifying really thorny, high-scale, high-value problems that can be solved with technology to make it really efficient and scalable to deliver that value into the marketplace. And I've done it in a lot of different industries. Um, and then about a decade ago, I got heavily involved in financial technology or what we now affectionately refer to as FinTech. Yep. And fintech. My, la my last two startups were big consumer FinTech startups, both of which have done pretty well. And I've also been doing a lot of investing along the way, and a couple of years ago decided to, uh, instead of serially going from company to company where I've literally had every job uh, along the way, I would try to do it in parallel and started what we call a venture studio that's called Operate, and uh, through Operate, we get involved in really early stage companies to help founders identify more clearly the, the problem they're trying to solve, figure out the strategy of how they're going to go attack it, and then help them properly staff and capitalize the company to go take advantage of that. And so what that looks like is we typically will invest in the company, we'll bring in co-investors, or we'll help them through uh, a couple of rounds of capital. We'll also put ourselves and our team in and around them to really create what we would characterize as a stronger team than they likely are able to afford or could normally put together at that early stage and give them a, an advantage of more likely getting through some of those early aspects of the, as we know it, J-curve, that valley of pit of likely death. And we help them cross that and, and get to the other side and really get into market and get early customers and revenue and traction and, and get to a place where often the market is going to be much more interested to participate, whether it's investing or doing business with them or, or joining them uh, as a teammate. Great. So 
So early, early days as a serial entrepreneur, and then stepping over to being an entrepreneur of a, uh, I always call it, think of you as an accelerator, but you used a phrase. What was the phrase you used? You used value. Uh, we call it a venture studio. Venture I, I think studio. Of it, so I think of it as uh, what we're building here is really a company building company. And, you know, the, the capabilities that we, which really is a combination of, you know, people, process, systems, and capital. And every company that we work with, we increasingly get better because we're building systems that we can reuse and improve on the next sets of companies. We're developing co-investor relationships that we can tap into again. And so now at we're, we're well over 20 companies that we have worked with over the last two years. We are way better now than we were two years ago. And so we're getting better. And as a result, the value we can deliver to our entrepreneurs is much greater now than it even was just a short year ago, two years ago. Got it. Yeah. So, so company building companies, basically. So in, in that process and uh, with, with startups, like this, you can't go to a, a, a university or the Google or the internet. And there's, there's somebody out there saying, uh, Hey, we've got an accelerator. We've got this incubator. We've got this course. You know, just do this, do that. What? What? Your model is a little different than that with company building company. So, how did you come across that model? And and obviously, you've had some great success. So, did did you make it out of thin air? Did you have a model to choose from? So I spent a lot of time really thinking about my career, all of the roles that, you know, I mentioned earlier, I've had every job. I've been a first salesperson, first marketing person, first product person. I've been a leader of teams. I've built teams. I've been a CEO. I've been a CFO. I've sold companies, bought companies, and I've had to, I've been the pretend lawyer in the house, right? I mean, you, you name <laughs> it, I've had to do it. And you know, I really characterize that as I've, I've had to be a figure it outer my whole career. And that's actually what I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed the challenge of a, a problem that didn't necessarily have an obvious answer that was right off a shelf. I had to go figure those things out. And I've had to do that. Some of those things that I figured out were worth a lot. They were really high value. Many of those things were not. And they should have been documented somewhere available as a best practice, something I could just take off a shelf or call somebody and get a quick answer to. And what I realized is that a lot of founders can't differentiate between which issue or question is high value and which one isn't. And so often they all look the same and you may have a thousand of those sitting in front of you and choosing which ones to focus on versus not, which ones to offload to somebody else versus not, that in and of itself is a high dissonance re reality and can hold people back from actually focusing on the things that matter. And so what we really tried to design and what I went out in the market to see is, you know, are there other people that are doing this that are looking at founders and saying, 
we can be a, a sort of full service partner with you. And we really look at our role as a filler around them. So every startup is a puzzle that needs to get put together in a bunch of pieces. And the founders are some key pieces in that puzzle, especially when they're ones that we want to get behind and get into business with. And we really flex and play a lot of those other roles in filling in some gaps that could be really high value in some cases, or could just be what we call necessary, not strategic in other, but necessary, not strategic still can take the burden off of a founder who otherwise is looking around saying, well, I don't have anybody else to do it. So I guess I'm going to have to do it. Yeah. So we we built a whole array of capabilities so that we can bring all these puzzle pieces and fit the right ones to this situation that create the best opportunity for mutual success. And some totally see this and see how incredibly valuable it is. And others, they don't, and that's okay. And we're not for everyone. We're really designed for the ones that we fit well with. Yeah, that's, it's, it's, you know, listening to you, you know, I kind of describe it as you've, you had that early career as the, the serial chief everything officer. Maybe you didn't do the same job, you know, all the jobs all at once, but eventually a CFO and other things and having your own startup, you, you experienced that and you, you like that, that space and you've built up a lot of you know, experiential best practices, right? And yes. you, you know the grit and the, you know, the, what, the grit that it really takes for a, a new chief everything officer, chief, new founder to push that ball forward. It's a race. It's a, it's not, it's not like, oh, let's go do a study and figure out what, you know, the market says from big, some big marketing department. It's like, let's call some people now and figure out what's yeah. going on. Right. That's right. And yeah. And look, my, my point of view is yes, I've had to go figure all these things out. That doesn't mean you should. And in the hyper-competitive world we're now in, you don't have time to go figure it all out yourself. And if you feel compelled to go do that, you're putting your startup at a significant disadvantage over others out there that are being much smarter about where they allocate their time and effort and what things they really need to go understand better than anybody else in the market. And those are the things that you're going to win on. But there are a number of decisions that are not high value that will take you a lot of time to get to a good answer that you should be trusting somebody else to help you navigate. And that's, that's who we look for. We look for people that um, understand that having the, the right kind of relevant experience as a partner is super high value. And in fact, giving them the confidence and the strategic advantage to focus on the things that are their area of genius and a likely place where they're going to win. And we help put the other pieces together that help make that into something that actually can create real value as a product yeah. or as a business or ultimately as a company. Yeah, I, I've, I've done a number of, of conversations with people and ask them to run through their business plan on a lean business canvas. And it's remarkable how many 
you know, like you said, they have a gazillion billion questions running around their head and they're working on something like a website and you're going, why are you working on a website? It's the least important of your business, right? So I really appreciate that, 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 that experience that you're gonna to bring to the, to the founders. Uh, as you were talking, a question sort of popped in my mind that there's this adage, um, you know, every founder is looking, you know, often I'm looking for money and there's the adage, you know, if you're looking for money, ask for advice. If you need advice, ask for money, right? Where, where, where do you, do you find that true? And do you, you know, how do people find you? Do they come asking for money or they come asking for advice? Um, it's a mix, but I would say the majority of them come to us looking for money. And, you know, part of this is a function in my mind of the marketplace um, yeah. that, you know, the venture capital community has created this incredible PR machine. And I've, <laughs> I've always said, you know, like the, the, the PR around it is uh, a pretty incredible feat. And I haven't really figured out how that came to be, but there is some amount of glamour associated with raising venture capital, building these high growth companies that presumably the only way you could do it was through this high risk capital that they've attracted. I think you've seen some people be very successful without doing that, but it's the ones that are backed by these brand name venture firms that often grab the headlines and the attention. And so there is this belief of like, I got to put a pitch deck together that pretends like I have all the answers, I have it all figured out. And the only thing standing between me and denting the universe is a whole truckload of capital. And right. that is the prevailing sort of message that is out there. And so people buy into that and go, okay, that's, I guess that's what I need to do. And so I'm gonna go do that. And so we often see people that show up and that's that's sort of what they're looking for. And they yeah. may have a really interesting idea. Now, in my case, I say, you know, let's put the pitch deck to the side because you don't have a product yet and you don't have a customer and you don't even have any investors and, and let's have a conversation. I wanna understand right. you know, why are you doing this? Who are you? And what's your plan for figuring it out? I'm gonna tell you a secret. I know you don't have it figured out. I'm okay with the fact that you don't have it figured out, I want to understand how you're going to attack this problem. And let's have a conversation about that. And if I can get really excited about you and why you're doing this and how you're thinking about going about it, then we may just very well want to join you on this journey. And that could take the form of us being an investor and putting capital in and putting a, even more valuable thing, which is our time and talent into this as right. well. And that's, that's sort of how we tend to shift the conversation. And sometimes it doesn't go anywhere. They're just yeah. looking for a passive investor to write them a check and probably not a good fit with who we are but, to operate. Yeah, but, and then other cases they say, wow, this is a very different conversation than I've ever had before. Sure. I think we should continue that. And those often are the ones that may continue and may end up with us in a really strong partnership where we're an investor, but we really look at ourselves more like part of the team and, and co-founders with them in many cases, and we're joining them 
in whatever ways they need us to help them on that journey. Yeah, as you were talking, I, I absolutely agree on it, the Silicon Valley uh, does a phenomenal PR job. I call it the Silicon Valley myth and people sign up for the equity tango. You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> they, they, they go out and thinking that, you know, as we said in the beginning with pre-recording that, you know, it takes money to make money. And that's the belief that is, is spread out there. And I completely understand if I'm an investor, I, I want to have the right of first refusal. I, I want to have the right of making all the money. You know, I want to outcompete people. So I'm going to tell people I'm the best at getting you forward. Uh, but that's not always successful for, for building businesses. So my hat's off to you on focusing on building businesses mm -hmm. and finding people that can do that. Uh, as, as, as you've gone on this, you know, creating Operate Yourself, the, the model didn't fully exist in the beginning. So you've been your own startup journey, sure. building a startup. Absolutely. Uh, that, that's, and you said you've, you, what you've learned in the, in this time frame, you've learned a to ton. Is, is there anything you would have said to your earlier self when you started this process that you go, man, I, I wish there's, I wish I would have known that I, I could have saved time or, Oh, I think, yeah, I think there's one thing that, you know, which is funny given what we were talking about. Um, you know, my partner and I have put a lot of our own capital into this. And I've talked to a number of other people over the last two years about venture studios. I've gotten to know a lot of really, really compelling folks building venture studios in other parts of the country and even the world. And everybody's doing it in a slightly different way, which is kind of cool. I think there's just this experimental phase that's going on. And, you know, the one thing I would say is be prepared to put a lot more capital uh, against this than what maybe we thought we would need to get this going. Um, and partly because this is not a well understood endeavor and even an asset class. Um, the, the, the studio concept is still um, being determined. And there's some people trying to create it as a little bit more of a standardized asset. It's very different than a traditional venture fund or, or pre-seed sure. or seed fund, even though we do operate our capital largely from a fund structure. So we're investing out of our second fund right now. And we use that GPLP fund structure with our co-investors who are uh, and partners that are in the fund with us. Um, I, I've told several people who've asked me though um, a similar question. You know, I wish I had a lot more of my own capital to put toward this because I see the value that we are creating. Um, I wish we could do more, and it will happen. Um, I, you know, it, it just like anything with startups, it always takes time. And so I think I, I should have told my younger self, do this with a lot more capital than what you're starting with to give yourself uh, enough of a, a runway and enough of a really a, an infrastructure to do it as great as you want to do it. And so uh, I think it's, a, it's ideally suited for somebody who has you know, a significant amount of personal capital or... Um, the, the, the studios that I'm probably the most envious of are ones that have been well 
capitalized by either you know venture funds themselves or others because you can get the right set of people around you um, to help you work through a lot of the, the work you need to do. But with that said, Philip, we have been incredibly blessed over the last couple of years with the founders that we've been able to work with, the partners who've joined us in our fund and the team that we put together at Operate. And in some respects, constraints, just like in many sure. cases with startups, constraints are a good thing. It's, it's really forced us to focus. I think if we had had too much capital in the beginning, we would have wasted a lot of it. Yep. And so we, uh, I think, are in a better place now to be a really, really good steward of more capital than we were two years ago. So I would have loved to have started with more, but I'm a lot smarter about it now. And so I think in, in hindsight, it's a good thing. Those constraints have been very formative yeah. uh, for us as well. Yeah, there's a... I, I totally agree. When you when you when you have the capital, you tend to spend what you have in your budget, and you you don't really dig deep to figure out what's the most important thing. And so, uh, I I don't know. Um, it, I I think it's it's good to bring that out to light. But I think uh, you're not having the capital was actually a better ability for you to succeed. Uh, and have better outcomes. Uh, I really do think that that yeah. is, has made you stronger. For sure. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the the exciting thing, you know, my partner and I own a lot of the uh, companies that we have invested in ourselves. Um, we haven't had to give a lot of that away to others. And so I think we're, we're super excited about the family of companies that we're involved with. And I think we're going to see some great dividends out of that, that we'll be in a better position to reinvest Right um, beyond, and to your point, and and I think the the reason I'm willing to acknowledge it is that I've been in companies with not a lot of capital in my career, and I've been in companies with a massive amount of capital, and so I'm probably in a little bit better position than most to understand those differences. But with that said, you know, each situation is a, is a little Absolutely. bit unique, and so yeah, so we're we're fortunate. Um, we've had a, an incredible start to this, but you know, as, as my partner Kyle and I say all the time, this is we're going to be doing this as long as we possibly can, and so uh, we're just in the early early stages of it. Very very nice. So with with you said you have twenty companies. Is there any themes uh, of the companies? I, I don't expect you to remember all twenty off the top of your head, but any particular industries that you you're focusing on or. Very we don't focus on industries. We're very, very open-minded. Um, there are some things that we tend to avoid. Uh, and, you know, I think we were talking just before about healthcare. Healthcare is an area that we have not spent some time in. In fact, we, we tend to sort of off the bat uh, disqualify most of those um, for either our own, um, I think, distaste in just building businesses in that industry and the challenges of doing so. It's a it's an industry full of problems that need to be solved. <laughs> We've left that for other people to solve. Very generous um, of you, Kerry. <laughs> yes. Um, there are plenty of other spaces for us to operate in. We, uh, we love things that really at that intersection of software and data, and that manifests itself in a lot of industries, a lot of, of opportunities. And so we have a lot of consumer 
businesses that are either consumer apps, consumer software that is enabling people to have more entertainment, more interesting solutions to problems that they have, and a lot more intelligence in how to solve those because we have a really strong penchant for data, either as a way to do prediction or personalization or machine learning or even a data asset that might be a exhaust off of a, a product of some kind. And so that's, uh, we've, we've ended up with a lot of really interesting consumer businesses, but we also have sort of about half consumer, half B2B. And uh, so we, we've got some B2B software. Uh, we have a, a B2B data company. So we're, we really like things that have a heavy software underpinning. And then, you know, given that my last two startups were both in FinTech, uh, and my partner has a strong fintech background as well. We have a lot of businesses that are financial technologies, again, heavy in software, heavy in data, uh, and you know, ultimately creating productized solutions to uh, real problems that you can identify in the market that have some kind of uh, value in solving it. Yeah, very, very nice. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with your your model. Is it takes a community to build a, uh, a business. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a solo sport. It's a team sport. Mm -hmm. And if you can build a better team, faster, quicker, smarter, your chances are you'll have a better, better outcome. Uh, I think that's pretty, pretty simple. Um, life goes into it. <laughs> humans, humans are interesting people. So you have to, you know, uh, I was, I ask you this: Do you think that the the um, what's most what's the most important thing about a, a, the business the the technology the technology moat that they have or the people that they have? Oh, for or sure, something the, else. Yeah, people. Maybe it starts with founders. We 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 always say we optimize for lovable founders, and lovability can show up in a lot of different ways, um, but often it it really has has things like collaborative spirit, coachability, probably a somewhat low ego, a curiosity that's just insatiable, a competitive drive. And, you know, just th that something about their, their genius is, is something tangible that you can feel and, and sense that you just want to help support and unlock. And so that's, that's really what we look at first and foremost is that uh, that lovable founder that we're building around. And, you know, really in the, in the realm of, you, you mentioned technology, I would say the next is how are we going to get this to customers? So distribution generally trumps product in almost all cases. And so really having a, a strong point of view on how are we going to get this into customers' hands in a, really effective, efficient way. And that, that's something beyond the team that we really spend a lot of time working on and thinking about. Right, so the, so the, uh, the proverbial product market fit, it's really all about the people first and then the market delivery. Yes. That's what we, that's what we would say. That, yeah. Especially cool. when it comes to software, there, we definitely have some companies that we've worked with that, that are solving really deeply technical problems. Yeah. And the team has to have 
the wherewithal to do that. Usually that means the founders have to be pretty technical to have the aptitude to go undertake it. But in a lot of application scenarios today, software can get built in a fairly predictable, cost-effective way if you have good partners and you have a good sense of understanding the customer enough to articulate what needs to be built. And so that's where, again, it comes down to, okay, you have a, you've recognized that there's a real problem. Um, we can help you get built what needs to get built. Do you have a really strong approach on how you're going to get it to market? Perfect. Well, their time together has just absolutely flown by. Uh, I can't believe it. How does the audience uh, get in contact with you? I'll, I'll have it all in the show notes, but what's the best way? Sure. Yeah, I tend to be pretty easy to find. I'm, I'm active on social media. You can find me on LinkedIn at Carrie Ransom or Twitter. Uh, and then our website's operatestudio.com. And you're, you're welcome to reach out to us through there as well. Perfect. I'll have that in the show notes. And, you know, with that, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, Gary. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Philip. And have a great one. Yeah. So for all of you listening, you know, the Savvy Founders focused on helping you shorten your startup journey. Uh, if I can sh- save you a, a month, a week, a day, uh, that's a good thing. Please share it with another founder so they too can sh- shorten their journey. Leave a five-star review. If you want to ask me a question, you know, ask the savvy founder.youcanbook.me. With that, I'm Philip Topham, the savvy founder, wishing you a bright and profitable future in both your business and personal lives. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and check out our website for tips, thesavvyfounder.com. You can also follow Philip on Clubhouse at The Savvy Founder, wishing you a profitable and bright future. Safe journeys. See you next week.